0: I think you can watch it uh, pretty much every Christmas season on TV somewhere, maybe more than once. Uh, I, I, of course, it has my one of my favorite actors of all time, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I love anything Jimmy Stewart is in. You'll remember, I'm sure, the plot of the story begins with angels in heaven discussing the plight of George Bailey and deciding to send an angel down to give him some some assistance. Now, I'm not vouching for the biblical accuracy of the film, but it does illustrate something important. Uh, anyway, George Bailey, who runs the local savings and loan in Bedford Falls, is about to jump off a bridge because, well, it's the only way he can see to save the the bank, the family, all the rest. In fact, uh, he has determined at this point in life that he's worth more dead uh, than he is alive because he does have a life insurance policy, but that's that's about it. And, uh, of course, Clarence the angel sent down to show him what his life could have been but wasn't because he thinks he's a complete failure, that everything has went wrong, And all was lost. Clarence has to remind him of the time that he saved his younger brother from drowning. When they were young men. And of the time he spared the local pharmacist. A mistake which would have maybe taken someone's life in the prescription. How he saved his father's business. The local savings alone when his father died just on the eve of his departing to go to college, and he had to stay and take over and run the business. The bank uh, was saved, just like the lives that George had saved. And then when he met Mary, and they got married, and they had saved money and planned on a honeymoon trip, they had to spend the money again to save the bank, because there was a run on the bank at the time. George went on to provide affordable housing for hundreds in the community. Done a lot of these great things and had to be reminded of it by the angel as the angel showed him what what it would have been, if what could have been if none of these things would have happened. Of course, the worst thing that had just happened was his uncle had lost a huge sum of money uh, on his way to deposit it. Bank examiners were coming. He figured he was going to be put in jail. And he's on the bridge when Clarence shows up and shows him what life could have been, how life, how bad life would have been for many others but it had not been for his life. And so I think that's a great illustration because we all at some point in time doubt the value of our existence. We may have had Plans that never came together, like George, who never got to travel and see the world, always tied down to the savings and loan. We may have had aspirations and dreams, which never happened. We may look upon our life as a failure, as a waste somehow, because we don't see the hand of God, and we should always See the hand of God. The Holy Spirit will help us do that. We don't need an angel, by the way. Oh, angels are still there to help us, but uh, we don't see them like George did. But, uh, we need to be reminded that God doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes, but God's bigger than our mistakes. We fail, but God takes our failures. And weaves His perfect will. We discussed the will of God the last two weeks, from Acts chapter 17. And that kind of looks at the broad landscape of the world, the saved world, the unsaved world, the nations of the world, the history, the geography, and all the rest. And I want to take basically the same outline, although I've reworded the main points, Make it a little more personal. It's basically the same five points we looked at the last two weeks. But we're going to try to narrow it down to see how it is that God is in control of our lives, down on the individual level. And we're going to do that by looking at the Christmas story, and in particular, Mary and Joseph, and how God was in control of everything that happened in regard to that whole narrative that we read in Luke and Matthew. Remember the 500-piece puzzle. Sometimes we look at it and it's a mess. It's all we can see. Kind of like George Bailey was looking at it. But sooner or later, God finishes the puzzle. The beautiful picture and the perfect will of God emerges. By the way, I'll say thank you to the thoughtful couple that gave me a puzzle for Christmas. I'm not going to put it together, I don't think. (laughs) I think that was a, a little joke, but well taken. I probably need to put it together. So let's look at God's will. That should say part three, by the way. I failed to change that number. Let's take a look at the sovereign will of God, which is unrevealed in advance, observable only in retrospect, if we are wise enough and spiritual enough to see it and discern it. God's will is uh, broken down into... His efficacious will, the things that he does and brings about in his own power and strength, and his permissive will, the things that happen, the things that men do, right and wrong, that yet he somehow weaves into the picture so that his will is accomplished. But the point is the same point we've been making, only on a personal level, that God does put the puzzle together, the picture does emerge, and unlike George Bailey, we don't have to stand on a bridge thinking our life is of no value. No, God's watching over us. Yes, he uses angels. We don't see them like Clarence there on the bridge, but God's in control. And in the end, there will be a happy ending. That doesn't mean that everything in life is easy or everything in life is wonderful and happy. But God is powerful enough. Sovereign enough to take all, everything, and make something wonderful out of it, a wonderful life. So, how does he do it? Well, we're going to be looking at a number of verses this morning, and I think we'll get most of them on screen, and I would suggest that you just jot down the references so you can go back and read them later. But instead of trying to flip Old Testament, New Testament, back to the Old Testament, Matthew, Luke, here, here, and yonder, back and forth, uh, quickly uh, just listen and watch the screen and use your outline there, fill in the words, and jot down the references so you can go back and look at them a little bit later. I don't very often ever do a topical presentation like this. But I think it's uh, necessary to make the point here this morning. How does God control our individual lives? Well, first of all, He determines the personal plan for each person's life. Now, Again, these are the same points. I just reworded them a little bit to make them more uh, personal. God determines the personal plan for each person's life. Now, we're going to look at Joseph and Mary over and over as we move through this. So let's talk about Joseph and Mary. First of all, Joseph and Mary were qualified to be the human parents of the Messiah. How do we know that? Well, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16 is a message God gave to David after telling David he would not build the temple as he desired, that that would be left for his son Solomon. And yet God gives David this promise. We call it the Davidic covenant. He said, and your house... And your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. His throne and his house. His house meaning his descendants. the David would have a descendant sitting upon the throne of Israel forever. Now that can and only will be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And that will occur in eternity future. But Jesus, the man, he's already God. He's fully and completely God, never gives that up. Although he sets aside the independent exercise of his deity while on earth, he takes on human flesh through the virgin birth of Mary. So Mary had to be, in the genealogy or the line of David, and she was, according to chapter 3 of Luke in verse 31. Uh, she descended through the son named Nathan, who was another son of David and Bathsheba. Joseph, on the other hand, according to Matthew chapter 1, he, his line went through Solomon. The problem is Solomon's line was cut off with the last king in Judea, Jeconiah, who who it was prophesied that he would have no descendants set on the throne. So, But that's no problem because Joseph was not the real father. He's only the adoptive father. Mary, on the other hand, is definitely in the line of Christ. But yet legally, as they say, since he was the adoptive father Joseph was too now Mary was chosen to bear the Christ child and Joseph was chosen to be the human father we see this first of all in Luke chapter 1 in verses 31 to 33 where we read, and behold, this is the angel speaking to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There's the fulfillment of the Second Samuel seven sixteen covenant. And then verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. What an honor for Mary to be chosen to be the human mother of the second person of the Godhead. It is said that almost all the young women in that day aspired to be the one. That Mary was chosen to be the one. Joseph, according to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, was chosen as well. Here's the message from God to him. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. I think we got verse 19, right? Sorry, I got verse 19. Uh, somewhere. <laughs> we'll, we'll skip on. I think I lost one there on him. But Joseph was chosen, as you can see here. Uh, Joseph, her husband... So uh, he had a part to play in the whole thing. Now, not only were they qualified by their birth and by their family connection to David, but they were also people that were uniquely qualified by character to bring about what God intended. Now, Mary was uniquely qualified in two ways. First of all, Mary was a great student of the Word of God. If you read what's called Mary's Magnificat in Luke 1, verses 39 to 55, you'll note there she has an absolute dead-on understanding of the the Old Testament and the Word of God. And as she pours out her praise to God there as a result of being chosen, you can see that. But especially in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, we see that she was a very, very humble individual after receiving the news that she would be the mother of the Christ child, then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary could have said, This is really not convenient. I'm only betrothed. I'm not married yet. What's people going to think? This is going to cause all kinds of problems. No, Mary said, Look, behold, I am your servant, Lord. Be it to me according to your word. This is probably her most outstanding characteristic and what it took for her to do what God called upon her to do. Joseph, too, was exceptional in his character. We see this twice. First of all, in Matthew 1, uh, verse 19, and there's the one I was looking for earlier. I had it a little out of place. Uh, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, he wanted to divorce her. Now... Betrothal in those days was legally binding and is roughly equivalent to our modern day concept of engagement. Uh, they were considered uh, legally bound together. So, uh, a woman who was found to be with child that, you know, at this point, that's, that's a huge problem with the law and, uh, Uh, unfaithfulness was even uh, punishable by stoning according to the Old Testament law. But Joseph, he's a righteous man. He says he's a just man. He believed in the law but he was also a merciful man and he just wanted to do it this way so she wasn't harmed and, and everything is said and done. And we see that Joseph here was a righteous man. He wanted to do things according to what was right and what was good for other people. Then we we know that Joseph was informed by the angel, what was going on. And at the end of that message, in Matthew 1 and verse 24, it says, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Whereas Mary's outstanding character quality was her humility, Joseph's outstanding quality was his absolute obedience when God said do something Joseph did it no questions asked he had a problem with the whole thing until the angel told him what was going on and what he was asked to do and he said fine bam I'm going to do it and this is important because if he hadn't have been obedient he wouldn't have fled Bethlehem when Herod decided to kill all the babies so uh, his obedience provided protection for the family now, this was God's personal plan, determined for Mary and for Joseph. And He has a plan for you and me. Now, we, we probably are not going to get a message from an angel. Now, we, we can get the leading of the Holy Spirit, who will confirm with our spirit, and give us uh, leading and help us to understand God's will, no doubt. Uh, We can counsel from other people. we got the completed word of God to give us guidance. But we have a plan in place, and God has put it there. and He has a purpose for our life. And Mary and Joseph were just, you know, nobodies. I mean, they're living in Nazareth. Nazareth is like living in Laramie, Wyoming, okay? Now, I I always heard of Laramie and saw it on a cowboy, you know, pictures and on TV and so when we were in Colorado a number of years ago, uh, we got to visit Laramie. If you blink, you'll miss it, okay? It's a few houses in the middle of a prairie and a few horses around, and uh, you know, there was a, there were a few vehicles. It was like, I'm thinking, this has got to be, <laughs> you know, the last refuge of any place in America. Well, that was Nazareth in those days. It was the frontier. Mary and Joseph are nobodies in Nazareth. They don't, they don't have anything. When they get married, when, when Jesus is born and they go to dedicate Him on the eighth day, they have to give two turtle doves instead of a lamb, which was allowed by the law. But it shows they didn't have the money. They didn't have the resources to give a lamb. Yet God had a purpose. Everybody's life impacts other people's life. Just like George Bailey's did in the movie, it is so in real life. God determines the plan for each person's life. And then number two, God determines the chronological limit of every person's life. How long we'll live. Now, uh, let's take Mary and Joseph again. For example, Mary would have been a very young woman. She would have been in her teens as the custom was in those days when she was betrothed. Uh, Joseph was a little older, maybe several years older, we don't know. We know that Mary, as this young mother, in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, having received the message that she would be the mother of the Christ child, in verse 19 of Luke 1, or Luke 2, I should say, it says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now the word pondered in the Greek only occurs here in this verse in the New Testament. And it means to think about something and come to a conclusion about it and an understanding of it. She lit, she thought and thought and pondered and, and tried to understand and, and, and put it all together so that she could do her absolute best in this position. Now, Mary lived a long life. Mary lived throughout the time of Jesus growing up as a youngster and becoming a man and going to work probably with Joseph and his trade. She was there when Jesus went into the public ministry. She was there for the three years uh, of that. Uh, She was a witness to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how terrible that would have been? She also saw the risen Savior and was there those 40 days when He appeared to so many. She was there when He ascended back to heaven. And then in in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, we find that Mary is there after all of that still when the early church is coming together. These all continued with one accord, it says in prayer, and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Amazing. God gave her a long life by those days, standards of those days. And throughout all that time that Jesus was growing up and uh, preparing the, during his earthly ministry and his, all that happened, there were, there were many that cast doubt on who he was and would not believe or even consider that he was the messiah why he was just uh, the carpenter's son from nazareth but mary throughout the whole time was there to give an absolute consistent word of mouth personal testimony this is the Messiah. This is the Christ, the anointed one. This child was born to me as a virgin. All that you have heard is true. And she gave that consistent witness, no doubt, her whole life through. Joseph, he well, we don't see him on the scene at all after Luke chapter 2 when they made that trip to Jerusalem and Jesus stayed behind debating in the temple and they were going home and and uh, re- realized he wasn't there and had to go back and get him. You remember that whole story. Uh, Joseph doesn't come up after that anywhere. He evidently died, probably, before Jesus ever entered into his public ministry. But Joseph was there to provide what was needed in those early years, protection and provision for the family. Mary was there as a personal witness of his miraculous birth throughout. God determines the chronological limit of every person's life. By the way, Mary would have been in her 50s, I calculate, getting anywhere from her late 40s to mid-50s, uh, when you come to Acts chapter one and verse 14. So God determines a personal plan for each person's life. He determines the chronological limit of each person's life. and then God also determines the material resources each person has. Now, I already mentioned the fact that Mary and Joseph didn't have anything starting out. Luke chapter 2, verse 24, where they present the two turtle doves, the law from Leviticus 12, 8 said two turtle doves are two young pigeons if you did not have a lamb for those that were poor. That's what they presented. They didn't have anything starting out as a young married couple, and that's uh, probably true of many, many of us and... uh, and uh, many down through the years. Pretty typical. Now, in Mark chapter 6, and verse 3, we have a statement being made uh, by those who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, and they say this, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. They said, Well, he's nothing. He grew up here. He's just like one of us. And and really for 30 years about, he didn't do anything or say anything that would have conflicted with what they were saying. Not until this point. And then when he does uh, present himself as the Messiah, he's not accepted by those in his own hometown. But look at this. It says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Uh, The father would pass down his trade to his son in those days, normal, especially the firstborn son. But by the way, this word carpenter, the word in the Greek translated carpenter, can uh, mean artisan or builder. Not necessarily meaning someone has to work with wood, as we would interpret the word carpenter. Uh, i Redware houses in those days were mainly constructed out of stone. He could have been a stonemason. By the way, if Jesus helped him and Menbet probably took over as doing that, uh, probably pretty successful, uh, over a span of years, was able to have plenty so he could go into that three-year ministry and leave Mary alone and, you know, at home and she would have enough. And Jesus would have been, if he would have been a stonemason, he would have been a man of probably extraordinary stamina. We've often marveled how he could have withstood the rigors of the scourging and all that went with the crucifixion, as he did, to the extent that he did. Well, Mary and Jesus as a babe would have had the Support, the financial support of Joseph and his trade, they would have also had the gifts that the wise men brought them. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. After the baby's born in Bethlehem, and when they had come into the house, that is the wise men, when they had come into the house, by the way, they're in a house now. They probably never were in a little shed way out in the middle of nowhere. And it wasn't one that belonged to the innkeeper. That's just in the plays we see. And they were staying probably at a distant relative's house because they were, their family originally from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of David. They're in the lineage of David. They have to go back there. Uh, most of the houses would have had a room in the back, which had a, at least a, a roof and maybe some sides where animals were kept. Uh, right up n- near the house, so that's probably where they stayed. And yet, the wise men, it says, come into the house. So, as the people that had flocked, the 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 descendants uh, uh, of the people that uh, the people that were from Bethlehem, as they came back in the census and flooded the place, and made meant that there was no room inside houses for them. They would have quickly dissipated. Mary and Joseph stayed for a while and they would have, you know, moved from that to the inside of the house as a place came available. And the wise men saw the star and calculated that meant that the king of the Jews was born. And that would have been when he was born. And they were 750 or more miles away and they took many, many days to travel there. As they arrive, they find them in the house. And we read in Matthew two eleven. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they had, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold has always been valuable; it's getting more valuable by the day. At at the present moment, uh, frankincense and myrrh, we don't hear much about today, and are not worth a whole lot today. But back then, were worth a lot. They were, you know, things that kings have and people of means. So the wise men brought them very expensive gifts. And here's the thing. There was more than one wise man, one, more than one wise man, because it's in the plural, but we don't know there was three. It could have been two, then it could have been 20. You so say, I thought there was three wise men. That's you, you, That's been extrapolated from the fact that three types of gifts were brought. But 10 or 15 or 20 wise men could have brought each one those three types of gifts. Or over the expanse of how many ever it was, that that was the types of gifts, the three types that came. So they could have been taken care of very well as they had to travel to Egypt. By the way, Joseph, leaving his trade up in Nazareth, would find it hard to get started again in Bethlehem for the short time they were there, and certainly it would be difficult in Egypt. So... The resources, everything that was needed, every step along the way, God provided. So God determines a personal plan for each person's life, the chronological limit for each person's life, the material resources each person has, and the historical setting of each person's life. The historical setting, the time period, the moment in history, the age in which a person is born. Makes a huge difference. Now both Joseph and Mary lived within the confines of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. We see in Daniel 9 in verse 24 70 weeks are determined for your people Daniel was told. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring Everlasting righteousness to set up the vi- set up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Seventy sevens is what it says in the Hebrew. It doesn't say weeks. It just says seventy sevens. Seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety. Four hundred and ninety years later on in the Daniel prophecy in chapter nine, he tells us the starting point when Cyrus would issue the order, the the edict that the Jews could go back and rebuild. That was uh, B.C. 444 or 45, one or the other. I can't remember which it was. But we know the exact date. So, again, later on in the prophecy of Daniel 9, it narrows it down and says after 483 years, 62 weeks plus 7 weeks, that's 483 years. After 483 years finish, the Messiah is cut off, crucified. One year, one week of years, one seven-year period is not accounted for and will not be accounted for until the seven-year tribulation period when God again you know, brings the Jews to the forefront of everything. The church age is over. But 483 years, then the Messiah is crucified, cut off. So Mary and Joseph had to live within the confines of that 483-year period. Jesus had to be born sometime before that 483 years ran out. It ran out on the day we call Palm Sunday. He was crucified within a week. Mary and Joseph not only had to be from the right family, they had the right genealogy, the right family line, they had to live in the right time, they had to be prepared spiritually spiritually, her character had to be right, all these things came into play. Now Luke chapter two, verses one to three. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Verse two: This, this census first took place when Quirinius was governor or was governing, governing Syria. So all, the next verse, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So Jesus, now, his birth comes about at a time in which there is a man by the name of Quirinius, who is one of the rulers in the local area of Syria, under the Roman rule of Caesar Augustus. It came about when Quirinius was governor in Syria. That's around BC 3 as a midpoint, we don't know the exact date, 3 B.C. And at a time when Caesar Augustus issued his order, everybody had to go back and be taxed in their hometown. That also occurred in and around 3 B.C. So we know Jesus' birth date. We know the date the 483 years run out. So we can determine the the age of Christ and uh, the fact that uh, all these things came together at this right time in history. Now, Mary and Joseph also got to experience the testimony of the wise men who came and said in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, that they had seen a star. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, when it says we've seen his star in the east, it does not mean they were in the east when they saw the star. That's true. But what it means is they saw his star in the eastern sky. And they followed it as it tracked night after night in the the night sky more and more to the west and led them to Jerusalem. This was God's method of directing them. But why would they even be looking for a king of the Jews? Well, remember, Daniel would have been a wise man in the Persian regime that he served in as a captive. He rose up to be counselor for Nebuchadnezzar and, and then King Cyrus and all the rest. So no doubt Daniel's prophecy again of the 70 weeks was known and some and, and communicated to that class of people over there. And there were some still looking for it at the right time, 483 years later. So Joseph and Mary realized that we are brought about at this point in time in history to do something right now that needs to be done. The historical setting of every person's life makes a difference. Now, let's move on to the fifth one. God also determines the geographical bounds of each person's life. Again, Mary and Joseph. Uh, if you go to Luke one twenty six, now in the sixth month, now that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the mother of John the Baptist, referring back to a previous verse. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So, both Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. Yeah. Out on the frontier. They're not in Bethlehem. And they may not even be aware of the prophecy from Micah chapter 5 and verse uh, 2. that says that he will be born in uh, Bethlehem. Yeah, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. I don't know that Joseph and Mary knew about it. God could have said, Joseph, take your family to Bethlehem. He didn't. God just let, by means of his permissive will, a heathen emperor by the name of Caesar Augustus, because he was greedy and wanted to make sure he got everybody taxed, say, everybody go to your hometown where we got the records and we'll make sure everybody is living, is paying their taxes. Kind of. I don't like the way politicians operate today. That's the thing that they, they seem to care about the most. So God, in his permissive will, yet knowing this is going to happen and orchestrating it, gives them reason to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem at the time Jesus is due. Fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Now, We also see this in Luke chapter 2 verse 4 where it says Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. So both of them were in Nazareth. Both of them by means of what the emperor did are sent to Bethlehem. We see in Matthew 2 1 The result, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men came. So we know where he was born in fulfillment of that prophecy. Then we know that Mary and Joseph had to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt because the wise men didn't take back the report to Herod as to where he was. So Herod ordered all the male children two years and younger to be killed, but God warns Joseph that they need to flee. This is in fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God's moving about the pieces on the chessboard of this world perfectly. And then when it was time to come back, Joseph, uh, Matthew 2 and verse 13 is given the dream, don't go back to Bethlehem, but go back to Nazareth. And that's what he does. And by the way, that fulfills Isaiah, excuse me, uh, yeah, Isaiah 11 verse 1. Now, th- that that seems a little unusual because Isaiah 11, 1 uh, simply says that, uh, do we have that one? Okay, we don't have that uh, it simply says that he would be the the rod uh, let me look it up here, make sure we get this right It's interesting isaiah eleven one all right, here we go. Isaiah chapter eleven verse one says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow' out of his roots. Now, Jesse's the father of David. A rod from the stem of Jesse, that's David. But the Hebrew word for rod is the same root word as the name of the city, Nazareth. And that fulfills that that part of the prophecy mentioned uh, in Matthew that says that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, Geographically, all these things come to place. My wife reminded me of something last night, <clears throat> and this is just a simple illustration because every one of us have these kind of things. We, if we think about it, we could talk about. But 26 years ago, I was walking our dog—a little dachshund. I was walking the dog out in our little subdivision, and a car pulled up. Inside that car was Greg and Debbie Hodge and their family. <clears throat> Greg had just taken a job in the area; he was moving. They were looking for a house and looking for a place to stay, and they were concerned about. Uh, they wanted to put their kids in a Christian school, so they said, "Is there a Christian school around here?" And I said, "Yes, my daughter attends a Christian school." Told them where it was and name of it and all the rest. And answered other. Questions they had, well, they end up moving three doors down. They've been in Fellowship Baptist Church for 26 years and blessed many with their musical ability, and Chrissy and Greg and, and Debbie and the rest of the family as well. Uh, was it a coincidence that I was walking my dog that day, at that moment in time? No, it wasn't any coincidence. Geographically, God was just moving them where he wanted them. Like he would moved me into that house for that matter. When we first came to North Carolina, we had one day to find a house. One day, that's all I had. We spent one night in the area. Drove down, spent the night, had to find a house and get back home. I, I was a pastor. I had i would used all my vacation. I had to do what I had to do. And God put me in a house two miles from here, three doors down where Greg and Debbie ended up. Those things don't happen by accident. So God determines a personal plan for each person's life, the chronological limit of each person's life, the material resources we have, which affects our life, the historical setting of our life, and the geographical bounds. (laughs) Here's another little anecdote I want to share with you in conclusion. A little silver-haired lady lady, called her neighbor up one day. and She said, please come over here and help me. I have a killer jigsaw puzzle, and I can't figure out how to get started. neighbor said, well, what's it supposed to look like when it's finished? She said, well, according to the picture on the box, it's a rooster. Her neighbor goes over. She lets him in, shows him the puzzle pieces all spread out on the table. He studies the pieces for a moment looks at the box, and he turns to her and says, first of all, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to assemble these pieces into anything resembling a rooster. Then he takes her by the hand and says this, secondly, I want you to relax, let's have a nice cup of tea, and then, he said with a deep sigh, let's put all the cornflakes back in the box. By the way, for you folks who are getting on a few years on you, this is known as the best ever senior citizen joke. But it illustrates what I'm trying to be saying. You know, we, we, we look at our life and, 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 and it might as well be cornflakes. We can't put it together necessarily, God can. And God does, because He's God, and He's sovereign, and He has you where He wants you to be, and He has a purpose for you today, where you are, at this moment in time, that fits into His perfect plan. And you may look like a cornflake, but you're not. You're a perfectly cut, puzzle. E